TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go. It is Scoop Podcast episode 238, first airing here on Score North. Scorenorth.com, that's score with a K, and 1500 AM, at least on your conventional radio dial. We'll get to Twins minor league pitcher Randy Dobnak and Mike Gensel talking NHL draft. Mike is now a scout for the Arizona Coyotes. We'll get to those two gentlemen later on in this podcast. But let's do a deep dive on the Wolves, everything that took place, or at least a lot of what took place, what they tried to accomplished. Not everything worked as they had hoped, but I do know that they are thrilled to have Jared Culver. So let's begin on Culver. Jared Nunes is a friend. He is an assistant coach at Baylor. He recruited Culver out of high school, competed against him in the Big 12 for the last two years, so he knows Culver incredibly well. Let's get a little analysis on Culver from Jared Nunes, former Hopkins High School star. Jared, I appreciate your time. Let's just start with your reaction last night as you found out that the Wolves had moved up and ultimately we're landing Jarrett Culver. What was your reaction? I thought that was a great uh, great pick for them. Uh, Jared brings a lot of different versatility, uh, great defender, um, long, uh, has the ability to score um, from the outside, draws a lot of fouls. Um, I think that's a, it's a good compliment to, to the guys that they already have on the roster. So I thought it was a great job, a great pick for them. Take us back through your history. I mean, did you recruit Culver even going back to when he was in high school in Lubbock, Texas? Yeah, we we actually did recruit him. We had him on an unofficial visit, and uh, he actually wanted to, was looking to play point guard, and uh, we had actually just had a couple of guys that in that position, so we weren't able to to get him fully on board. But we we did recruit him. We thought highly of him back then, and obviously um, still I think highly of him now. I mean, what did you guys see back then? Because ultimately, I believe, like his high school class, now, trust me, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to rankings, but I saw one recruiting service had him something like 312th in his class. I mean, he was, what, like a one- or a two-star recruit. So what did you guys see going back to when he was, say, a junior in high school that made you say, okay, this kid has a chance to be pretty good? Um, just uh, upside, uh, his athleticism, and then he also is a worker. I mean, that, you know, sometimes rankings can, kids are ranked sometimes high coming out, but they, some kids don't actually end up panning out. But then you have other kids who maybe are one, two star um, athletes coming out whose work ethic is just tremendous. And then you see a lot of growth um, from the time that they come out of high school to when they get into college. And, you know, unfortunately, he had some injuries in high school, but he got stronger. Um, and so I thought that helped him tremendously, especially from his freshman year um, to his sophomore year. I mean, heck, I mean, maybe the injuries. I didn't know about his injury history. Is it possible the injuries played a part in his ranking? Possibly, because I don't think, you know, on the AAU scene, probably a lot of coaches weren't able to see him. Um, and so maybe just the availability for him not being able to be seen uh, might have had a little bit to do with it as well. Did you notice a jump in his game, the games you guys played against Texas Tech his freshman year compared to this past season when he was a sophomore? Oh, absolutely. I mean, his freshman year, uh, you saw it in spurts and flashes that he had a, a chance to be to be special. But um, I think credit to him during that offseason after his freshman year, he really improved his perimeter, 
uh, his perimeter shot and his ball handling is the big thing that I saw that that really improved. And then he also looked like he got stronger. So he obviously had spent some time uh, strength and conditioning and getting his body to where he was able to to take physical contact. And you saw him going to the free throw line more from a freshman to a sophomore. He did in one of the games. You guys actually beat Texas Tech in one of your matchups this past season. In one of the games, I can't remember the win or the loss, but he had seven turnovers. Is that maybe one area he needs to approve upon? That's the number one area I would say for him that I, I would like to see him improve on, especially now that he's playing for my for my hometown uh, Timberwolves. But yeah, I think you know he sometimes he can get careless, um, and I think if he can clean that up a little bit and cut down on the turnovers. I think that's kind of the glaring uh, weakness in his game. Um, if I, if you were to ask me, it's the one that I saw. Jared, I appreciate your time. Always good to catch up. Absolutely. Thanks, Darren. Let's continue the Culver analysis. Now joining us, he hosts the Raised by Wolves podcast here on Score North. He covers the Wolves for scorenorth.com. It is Danny Cunningham. All right, Danny, as last night is unfolding, the craziness of the evening... Where did you rank the possibility of Jarrett Culver ending up with the Wolves? I was pretty surprised when they traded up to number 6 from number 11. I thought they were doing so to get Darius Garland. I still believe that that's the guy they really wanted yes. when that trade was No in doubt mind. in my mind, yes. But if that wasn't the case and he was gone, as is what actually happened with Cleveland picking him 5, I thought Kobe White was going to be the guy at number 6. I was surprised to see Jarrett Culver's name called and to him walk up on the stage with the 6th pick. I don't necessarily think it's a bad pick by any stretch of the imagination and in fact i like the aggressiveness of moving up for it but it wasn't their plan and it definitely caught me by surprise when it happened my sense is they badly wanted garland yeah now there was some leakage last night late late last night that Jarrett culver was in their first tier Mm -hmm. no reason to have williamson morant barrett right yeah we always knew going back many many weeks those guys would be off the board one two three so really their tier began with that fourth pick they leaked to some people late, late, late last night that Culver and Garland were in their first tier. Other guys were then below. So it was just Garland and Culver. So they got one of their guys mm-hmm. in their first tier. Are you buying that, or is that potentially some damage control, them saving face? Now, clearly, they prefer Culver over Kobe White, over Cam Reddish, over others. But do you buy that they had in the same tier Darius Garland and Jarrett Culver. I don't think that they were in the same tier, but I do think that the tiers were probably pretty close. I think that Garland was in that first tier, and maybe maybe Culver was in you know that 1B tier. I, I don't think that they had him on equal footing as Garland. When they traded up, that's what it was for. There's no question in my mind about that, but I do think that he was the next best option for them. I don't. I clearly think that they wanted to trade up for someone that can be a star. It's more likely that Darius Garland's a star in the NBA than Jarrett Culver is, but it's also more likely, in my opinion, that Jarrett Culver's a star than Kobe White is, and that's how the Wolves felt. I was led to believe the Wolves were willing to trade Robert Covington if it got them the number four pick. Now, I was also led to believe that New Orleans was always further down the road with Atlanta than the Wolves. But I think there's also a little damage control going on on that, right? Yeah. Because you don't want Robert Covington to think, okay, you were just about out the door. Is your sense that if they could have landed Darius Garland, they would have moved Robert Covington? I think knowing what they know now, they would have tried to get four a little bit harder. They would have been willing to give up a little bit more to get Darius Garland at four and ensure themselves that they did. And once it was kind of reported that DeAndre Hunter was going to be the fourth pick by Atlanta with them moving up and trading with New Orleans, then it opened the door well. 
one of our guys, no matter what, is going to be on the board at six. And, and I'm not saying they got complacent because clearly they were aggressive in moving up. They moved up five spots at the, car, at the cost of a starter, which Dario Sharch is in the NBA. But I do think that knowing what they know now, it might have made a little bit more sense for them to be a bit more aggressive if they truly feel like Darius Garland's going to be an all-star, all-NBA type guy in the NBA for years to come. You used to cover the Cavs. Mm-hmm. How surprised are you after they took Colin Sexton a year ago that they passed on Culver, passed on other guys, and took Garland at five? I'm not stunned in part because of what you see in Portland with, with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, how they have a two-guard backcourt that really works really well. And also, I'm not sure what Colin Sexton's future is in the NBA. I think that he might translate best as a sixth man. And I think that Darius Garland could be the future star in that in that backcourt. I think that they can play alongside each other. They'll probably split them up as much as they can in terms of playing time on the court. They will share the court at times, but you'll see Colin and Sexton, I think, run the second unit unit more often than you'll see Darius Garland do that. But I love what they did in the draft last night. I thought Cleveland had a tremendous first round. How fascinating is it going to be for the next handful of years to compare Garland to Culver to Reddish mm-hmm. to White? I mean, that's going to be the conversation. I think about a few years ago, right? Chris Dunn. Yeah. And the first guess from a lot of people, and I'll raise my hand because I'm wrong plenty, so I can admit when I'm right. Sure. Pat myself on the back for being right on this one, I was in the Jamal Murray camp. Yeah. Right? I wanted Jamal Murray. I could have lived with Buddy Heald. I was actually okay, though, with Chris Dunn. I didn't knock the Dunn pick. But I think that's going to be the conversation for years to come, right? Did they make the right pick? Was Culver the guy? Let's see how White does in Chicago. Let's see how Reddish does in Atlanta. Could they have given up more? found a way to get Darius Garland. I mean, don't you think that's going to be the conversation for years to come? Absolutely. That's what we're going to do. We're going to compare all of these guys that are in the second or third tier of the draft because you mentioned earlier that the the first tier was Zion and John Morant and RJ Barrett. And those guys were never going to be in Minnesota. That just there was not nearly enough ammunition. I don't know what the interest of the Wolves would have been to move up there anyways. But we're going to be comparing all the guys that were on the board at six to Jarek Culver. That's just how this business is going to work. We're going to be looking at what Kobe White does as a rookie in Chicago, where he's going to be handed the reins of, of that backcourt as, as the point guard to run the show there. We're going to be looking at how Cam Reddish, who was picked at, at number 10 by the Atlanta Hawks, how he fits in with Trey Young and John Collins and Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter. We're going to be judging Jarrett Culver a little bit based on what he does, but also a little bit based on what everyone else that the Wolves could have had does as well. Another guy they could have had, Sekou Dumboya. Yeah. So while I think overall it was a good night for the Wolves, I especially like what they did after Culver mm-hmm. with Nas Reed and some of the other guys. We can get to that in a sec. But Sekou Dumboya. You had the initial steam. You reached out to me. We tag-teamed it. Yeah. We can report, right? This is the Scoop podcast. Yes, here's here's the Scoop. This is it. The Wolves had dialogue with Charlotte about pick 12. This was after the acquisition of Jarrett Culver. This was when... In their perfect world, right? They would have gotten, found a way to get Sekou Dumboya teamed him with Jarrett Culver. Yeah, this was when Charlotte was on the clock. They were I don't know who else they were talking to. I imagine that there were other teams, and it doesn't feel as if they, this game to a whole ton of steam, but the Wolves had interest in Sekou Nuboya. They wanted to get back at 12. I don't know what the cost would have been to get there, but I know that the conversations were had, and, and Sekou Nuboya is someone that has been compared to Pascal Siakam, who obviously has now just been on the biggest stage in winning the NBA Finals with the Toronto Raptors, and Dumboya is someone that I think they could have had a lot of interest in had they stayed at 11. I'm not sure they would have picked him there, depending who else could have been on the board, but they wanted Sekou Dumboya at number 12 if they could have gotten back there with Charlotte. 
And I'm not convinced talks ever got real deep. But mm-hmm. just know that the Wolves tried to yeah. acquire pick 12. All right, so Noel in the second round. I would have gone bowl, bowl, but I can live with the Pac-12 player of the year. Sure. Signing Nas Reed, McDonald's All-American, preseason, borderline lottery pick to a two-way contract. Then today, Tyus Battle to an Exhibit 10. Jordan Murphy, former gopher, agreed to a summer league deal with the Wolves. I mean, that's a long shot. Maybe he ends up with the Iowa Wolves, but he's not in the mix for an Exhibit 10 or a two-way. But as you look at the totality of the night, how do you analyze it for the Wolves? I think that they did really well. And even if the cover pick doesn't work out, I like that they showed aggressiveness. I think that that's something that's important. It tips off that this is going to be a very interesting and busy summer for the Wolves. I like I like Jalen Noel at number 43. I like that he shot 44%, I think it was, from three-point range in college at Washington. That's a big deal because they don't have a lot of shooters in this backcourt here, and they don't have a lot of bodies in the backcourt either at that point guard position. We don't know. We know Jeff Teague picked up his player option, but Tyus Jones, restricted free agent. Derek Rose, unrestricted free agent. I think everyone can count Jared Bayless as being out the door. So it's going to be interesting that maybe he can get some playing time with the Real Wolves or We'll see what develops of him in Iowa because that's obviously Gerson Rosas has talked about wanting to use the G League as a as a minor league for this team in the way that it hasn't been done with the Wolves before and it's the way that it had been done in Houston. So I like the pick there. I think Nas Reed is a great guy to take a, a swing on. If it hits, that's an awesome pickup for them. And like you said, McDonald's All-American was thought of as a lottery pick and, and fell out of the draft. I think un, something that was surprising to him, he's someone that expected to be drafted last night. So I think the Wolves did really really well last night. Even if Culver doesn't work out, I think that there are chances that some of the other guys that they picked up and that now are part of the Wolves as an organization will. Summer League is going to be fun, right? Yes. Culver, Reed, I mean, all the guys Are battle. we sure Culver's going to be able to take part even well, because of when that... Well, right is it, July It begins 5th, July 5th and so the trade can't happen until here, the 6th or yeah, the 7th. July 6th. It's so stupid. The NBA needs to fix it, that, but that awful. we can do an entire yeah. hour on, but... Yeah, I think Culver eventually gets to Vegas. Joshua Kogi, I'm told, is going to play. I've been told Kata Bates-Diop is going Kata to play Bates as well. Kata Bates-Diop absolutely is going to play. Cam Reynolds absolutely is going to play. Mitch Creek, I'm sure, will be he out mentioned there. mentioned Jordan Murphy. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it is going to be really, really fun. By the way, it sounds like there is some change going on in the Wolves' front office. Sounds like it was a busy day yet again today at Mayo Clinic Square. All right, when we come back, we'll shift the conversation to baseball. We'll talk with Twins minor league pitcher Randy Dobnik. Stay with us. Because the Vi- you're getting the scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. Find the scoop on demand on scorenorth.com. There's no June swoon when it comes to the Scoop Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, on this Friday night. It is Score North. Scorenorth.com. Make sure if you don't have the Score North app on your smartphone, you grab it. Go to the apps option on your smartphone. Type in Score North, S-K-O-R, Score North. If you have the app, you have an opportunity to win all sorts of cool prizes. So my biased advice is make sure you have the Score North app on your smartphone. Let's talk twins this segment on the trade front, if you check my Twitter, shameless plug to my Twitter account, D Wolfson KSTP, there was the Charlie Walters report late Saturday about the Twins moving closer to acquiring giant starter Madison Bumgarner. I then was able to advance that note late Saturday into Sunday morning that a Twins official directly involved told me that that report is 
premature. Didn't necessarily deny that there's been some dialogue with the Giants, but in that particular case with Shooter saying, hey, the Twins and Giants are moving closer to a Madison Bumgarner trade, that that report absolutely positively was premature. But whether it's Bumgarner, whether it's a different arm, undoubtedly before July 31st, expect the Twins front office to strike. I see them adding at least one, if not multiple, arms. This instance, do I know who that is? No, mostly because if you talk to Twins officials, they'll tell you this. It is a seller's market. It is not quite a buyer's market. There is a chance that that shifts as we get into July, but the price right now for guys is incredibly high. Now, we saw a transaction last weekend with the Mariners sending Edwin Encarnacion to the Yankees, so there is dialogue. The Twins are constantly in communication with teams. The Twins will be ready to strike. There's no doubt in my mind. But right now, the price is really, really high. And it's not like the Twins are in this enormous rush. With the sizable lead they have in the division, they can be patient. One thing the Twins are working on right now internally, forget the external options, internally is they can look ahead to October. I was texting with an agent of one of the Twins pitchers, and he told me, hey, the Twins like my guy. They are trying to figure out if my guy fits into their postseason roster plans. So there's a lot of auditioning taking place right now. The Twins are able to think ahead to October. It would take a massive collapse for the Twins to not win the American League Central. So who knows? Maybe there's a guy in the minor league system that could fit the bill, that could be on the Twins' playoff roster, right? You only have so many spots on the playoff roster. Not every guy can make it. So the rosters expand in September, but then they will shrink again, go back to normal, come October. What about this guy? Our next guest is Randy Dobnik. He is a starting pitcher in the Twins organization. He began the year at High A Fort Myers, transitioned to Double A Pensacola, then made it to Triple A Rochester. He was knocking on the door of joining the Major League team. He is now back down at Double A Pensacola. He's got one heck of a story undrafted out of a small Division II school in West Virginia. He has put up really good numbers across all three levels of the Twins minor league system this year. Let's get to know right now Randy Dobnik. Randy, I appreciate your time. I was laying out your journey leading into our conversation, but not every detail of your journey. By the way, I botched the pronunciation of your last name. It's Dobnak, so Randy Dobnak. Anyway, can you just lay out, I mean, I guess what I laid out, Randy, was that you went undrafted out of a Division II school, a small Division II school in West Virginia. Do you want to pick up the story from there, everything that led to you now being a member of the Twins organization? Yeah, so coming out of high school, I only had one offer for college, which was this really small school, Division II in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, called Alderson Broadus. Probably never heard of it. A lot of people never have. It's in... 30, 30 minutes off the back road and top of the mountaintop. But uh, mm. I ended up going there for four years. Um, I started all four years. Our, we, had, we had a weird schedule, so we would play doubleheaders on Friday and Saturday. That was the scheduled time anyway. But most of the time it ended up being Sunday or Monday because of rain or whatever, snow. But I went there for four years. Uh, after that, I ended up going to a another small independent league team up in Michigan called the United States. United Shores Professional Baseball League. And the only reason I got into that league is because my, the coach of the team I played for, the Unic Unicorns, played with me in my first two years of college. And his, his son's name was Dan Essien. His name is Jim Essien. He's also a former big league uh, catcher, big league manager. I think it was back in the 70s and 80s. He played for the Reds, played for the White Sox. I think he managed for the Cubs and whatnot. But we were all out to dinner one night. 
mm-hmm. I, uh, after the freshman year conference tournament. And he was like, hey, after you're done with college, if you don't get drafted, I want you to come play for me. I was like, okay, yeah, see what happens. And sure enough, senior year came around, draft came around, didn't hear my name. And I gave him a call out. Or he, call, he called me. He's like, you ready to do this? I was like, yep, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> so I went up there. <laughs> I ended up playing up, I think I had four or five starts up there. I was there for about a month. And um, the Twins came calling. And within a month, I was from West Virginia, middle of nowhere, to Elizabethan, Tennessee, playing playing professionally for the first time for the Twins. All right, so Randy, so the Twins find you, they call you. How exactly did they find you in Michigan, in that league, and how jarring was it? I guess two-part question, just following up on everything you just laid out. How jarring was it that you didn't get drafted? I mean, the draft is so many rounds. Was the expectation that, indeed, you would get drafted? Um, I talked to a, lot of, a, lot, a few different teams for like six or seven. Uh, the Blue Jays followed me for about three years, I'd say. But every time, nobody ever came to see me play because every time they would plan on it, we'd either get rained out, snowed out, it'd be a chance of rain, chance of this and that. So they didn't really have to come see me play that I know of. But I never talked to the Twins until well, – I never even talked to the Twins until the day they called me to sign me up in uh, Indie Ball. Because when I was there, I got I got a phone call one morning, and out of, out of the blue, they're like, hey, uh, we're going to sign you. I was like, sure, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> so, I mean, you Before had no that. inclination at all that they were even scouting you? I mean, clearly they had one or multiple scouts watching you, right? They had some sort of book on you. But really, until that phone rang and it was the Minnesota Twins, you had no clue? I had no clue. That morning, wow. the uh, one of the people higher up in the the league called me and said, "Hey, the Twins want to talk to you, whatever." And I was like, "Okay." So I gave, and then like ten minutes later, the guy from the uh, scouting director, uh, Billy Milos, he called me. He was the one that signed me. Or he was a scout that signed me. I, I forget who the guy was that originally like because the whole management switched over like the year after. It did. It might have been Brad Style back then. I think yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. That's right. But um. They gave me a call, and they're like, would you want to sign? I'm like, um, absolutely. <laughs> but was, this was like 9 a.m. one morning. I was up eating breakfast, whatnot, getting ready for the day. And all of a sudden, everything just flipped the switch, and I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what? But it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, what was your first reaction? I mean, the journey you've taken, finally joining organized baseball, right? Affiliated, I guess might be the better way to put it. Affiliated mm-hmm. baseball, joining a major league organization. I mean, just how eye-opening was it when you got to Elizabethton? I mean, it was it was crazy. I had, I had never expected anything like that before. I mean, in college, I knew I pitched well, but I never really understood. Like, I never knew how it all worked because nobody ever like knew was ever drafted or ever, you know, I never talked to them about it. And the way it went about just so quickly, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then once I got to Elizabeth, I was like, wow, this is actually happening and whatnot. And seeing all the guys there, I was like, this is something I can only dream of. <laughs> so, I mean, you always had, though, the confidence in your stuff that you would progress beyond Elizabethton. I mean, for some guys, it's, hey, you know, you get a flavor of it and you decide, I don't know if I can do this. This is going to be one heck of a climb just to even get to where you are right now, double A. You know, as high as you've gotten, AAA, then to knock on the door of the major leagues, maybe ultimately get to the major leagues. But you always had confidence in your stuff, your ability as a pitcher, that you knew that you would advance past Elizabethton? 
Yeah, I've always trusted myself because I think that's the most important thing for pitchers. You can't be scared to throw something. And like for me, I can throw any pitch, any count with 100% confidence, knowing that I know that I can get this done. You know, if I can execute this pitch in this count or so on and so forth, that I can give myself a chance to, like you said, progress up the levels. But as fast as I've been doing that, I think it's really crazy just to think about for myself because I've always been the kind of person that, like, okay, like, I know I'm, I've been doing pretty well, but I've never really impressed myself. But this year, I've really, it's really opened my eyes to like, wow, like I actually have a chance to do this, you know. We're talking with Twins minor league pitcher Randy Dobnik. He's currently at Double A Pensacola, has gotten as high as Triple A Rochester this year. So certainly knocking on the doorstep of one day joining the Twins major league team. Randy, when you talk about having confidence in throwing any of your pitches, I guess tell us about what pitches you throw, what kind of pitcher you are. All right, so this year I've worked on – because last year I was like a four-seam curveball slider, change-up splitter guy. This year I've limited myself. I've changed my fastball into a sinker to create more ground balls. I've been working on that for the past – I started throwing it at the end of last year, but this year I've really worked on it a lot. Um, I've gotten rid of the curveball. I've just stuck with one breaking ball. Sometimes I can – one, I can have more sweep to it, one, I can have more depth to it, but I just call it a slider. And then I have a change-up that I throw – and I've kind of get, gotten rid of the splitter because the change-up and the splitter were basically the same pitch according to all the number games. So I think me bringing my repertoire down from 5 to 3 has really increased my uh, command with everything because having five pitches, you know, it can be a little confusing at times. But myself working on the sinker that I have now and the slider and change-up I think has really helped me out this year. Who else works with you? I mean, it's not just you individually working on that. You know, sinker and that changeup. Who else is working with you? Um, so last year I was in uh, Cedar Rapids with pitching coaches Justin Willard and Sydney Bayo, and they're actually here in Double A again. Hmm. So beginning of the season when I was in Fort Myers, I was working on it there. I mean, we worked on spring training a little bit, and I took it to there. And then once I got here, they're like, okay, because my slider hasn't been consistent for me, but ever since like in the last two months, I've really developed a better slider more consistency with it, which I definitely think has helped me in the long run, because I've worked on that for like a year, year and a half, but um, those two guys, Justin Willard and Sidney Bayo, I think they've really helped me out to uh, develop to what I have this year so far. So, I mean, is it almost a blessing in disguise? I mean, I'm sure you'd rather be at AAA Rochester compared to AA Pensacola, but is it almost a blessing in disguise because those guys are right there with you in Pensacola that you're now back down at AA? Yeah, I think they really helped me out. I mean, the guy, uh, Stu Clyborn and um, Mike McCarthy, he's up in AAA too. Those two guys, they both have the same idea. They know what, what I've been uh, working with and whatnot. And I think Kevin, being around... Uh, Justin and Sydney has really helped me out a lot just because they were there last year when I first started um, changing over into a sinker pitcher, sinker baller, I guess you can say. But because um, I'm not really a strikeout guy, I pitch your contact. I want to pound the strike zone, you know, throw a lot of strikes, get a lot of ground outs, early contact, go deep into games and whatnot. And I think having them there th- this year again from last year really helps to help uh, develop me more because they're the ones that showed me what to do. They know what to do. They know how to work on it, and so on and so forth. I bring up blessing in disguise, Randy, but is also a situation where there is some sense of frustration that you performed well at AAA, like the roller coaster of just this year for you. And I say this year, really just the last, what, about eight or nine weeks. 
You start in Fort Myers. You go to Pensacola. You go to Rochester, New York. Now you're back in Pensacola, Florida. I mean, how have you been able to handle just that roller coaster of, of being all over the place in just a short amount of time? I mean, I, I love it. I'm here for the ride. Whatever whatever it takes me, it takes me. But I, so I'm, not, I'm not really frustrated with being sent back down because originally it was only supposed to be one or two starts, uh, spot starts. But then a few things happened. I think somebody got hurt, and then another guy got called up to the big league. So the spot opened up for me. But then once once uh, Devin Smelter was the guy that got called up, he got optioned back down to AAA. And he was, at that point, I was going to be the sixth guy. So I figured I'm the youngest one here. I'm the one that's been, I came up here last and whatnot. I'm like, everybody else is doing pretty well, too. They'll probably send me back down to AA. So I, I wasn't really frustrated. I understand the whole entire numbers game and whatnot but i think it's really gonna help me out in the long run knowing that i was up there for four starts with a new ball pitching against the guys that have a lot of big lead time i faced like matt kemp rajay davis those guys dd degorius i think having having said that pitching, pitching against those guys and being up there just getting a taste of it will help me out whether it be within a trade or within some knowing that I can uh, compete at that level, you know? Absolutely. I think it'll, help me, it'll help me out in the long run. Yeah, and speaking of the long run, I mean, do you ever find yourself drifting ahead to what one day might be like if you make it or when, forget if, when you make it to the major leagues? You're not on the 40-man roster, but it's always easy, right? I mean, heck, give me a, a pencil and an eraser. I can find 40-man roster space on just about <laughs> every single – you know, give me every single organization. I'll find a 40-man roster spot. It's it's not all that difficult, but you're not on the 40-man. But even that being said, I mean, do you ever drift ahead thinking about what it might be like one day? Maybe it's, who knows, September? Maybe it's sometime next year? Maybe it's 2021. But do you ever drift ahead thinking about what it might be like to pitch in the majors? I mean, yeah, I always think about it, but um, I don't really expect it. I think if I expect it too much, then I'll maybe, you know, slow down my progression and whatnot with, stuff so i think having the mindset of like i still need to prove to everybody that i have that i have the the grind the grit i have the i have the stuff for it i think having that kind of mindset will help me out rather than being like oh yeah i'll be there whenever it happens it happens but i think expecting myself having the um knowledge of like maybe i'll be there not when but like i have the opportunity i think that'll help me out mm-hmm Randy, has this been in many ways the best year of of your life, or will it be when it's all done? I mean, I saw the note that you're getting married when in September, so you think about just personally the way your life is about to change, although who knows, maybe you guys live together right now, so maybe maybe it won't change all that much, but at least, you know, in terms of legality and all that, you will be married you know, by mid-September, and just, you know, you can make a case that even though you're back down at double-A, just reaching AAA, the success you're having this year, you can make a case this is your best professional season so far. So just professionally, personally, about the best year of your life? Yeah, I'd definitely say that. This has been the craziest if and the best year of my life, and it's only going to get better from here. Like you said, I'm getting married September 28th. Um, the only way that, that wedding won't happen is if I am in the big leagues, but we've already talked about that. She said, so this FaceTime me and the party will go on without me or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, heck, rosters expand in September, right? I mean, there's always a chance they'd have to add you, but there's always a chance, right? You can't say oh, that yeah, there's I think, I think a 0%. Awesome. You never know. 
Yeah, I would say yeah. that would be that would be one heck of a story if you end mm-hmm. up having to miss your wedding because you're helping the Twins maybe wrap up home field advantage throughout the playoffs in the American League. Yeah, I mean it's it's been crazy just think about how how much I've done this year for myself and their support has been awesome. I mean, her, she's coming down with her family, her grandma, her brother, and my parents are both coming down uh, next week for a whole week before the week before July 4th, we have a homestand and having them all in town, I think it'll be pretty awesome. Uh, they've, she can't, she was to come down to my start in double A the day that I got promoted up to Rochester, but luckily it was actually an hour closer to Rochester than it was to where we were in Kodak, Tennessee. So she mm. came up there for that. But, but and my, and my mom came in my pat, but I pitched two innings and we got rained out. So, <laughs> but, that, but that was pretty awesome. That does sound awesome. Randy, this was a ton of fun. Continued success, okay? All right, thank you. That was Twins minor league starter Randy Dobnak actually starting tonight for double-A Pensacola. He's been as high as triple-A Rochester, a name to know as you follow the Twins minor league system. Randy Dobnak. We transition to the National Hockey League. The draft starting tonight. We'll talk to Arizona Coyote scout Mike Gensel, former Gopher, former longtime Gophers assistant coach. Yeah, he now works in the National Hockey League. We'll catch up with Mike after this. Tuesday. From concerts to camping under the stars, you're destined to find your true north only in Minnesota. Visit exploreminnesota.com. a bit cold is that potentially a draft that you're feeling yes it is the month of drafts we had the major league baseball draft earlier this month we did a deep dive on the major league baseball draft with twin scouting director sean johnson both before and after the draft plus we had multiple twins draft picks on including matt walner of forest lake who signed earlier this week just below slack it's about 1.8 million dollars guaranteed he's already off to elizabethton tennessee to begin his pro career the nba draft was last night tonight is the start of the nhl draft and with the nhl draft oftentimes comes all sorts of trades so not only draft pick transactions but players moving will the wild be active let's catch up now with mike gensel former gopher former Gophers assistant coach. He now works for the Arizona Coyotes as a scout. We'll talk draft. We'll talk free agency. We'll talk the trade front. Let's catch up now with Mike Gensel. The aforementioned Mike Gensel now joins us, Jake Gensel's dad, but I know him as Mike. You might know him as Jake Gensel's dad, but he's Mike to me. He'll always be Mike to me. Mike is in Vancouver right now for the draft. Full disclosure, we're actually taping this conversation before the start of tonight's draft. Mike, let's just start with the Wild. They pick at pick 12. Is this a good draft? I mean, from all your scouting, your duties with Arizona, is this a pretty good draft, just big picture, to be picking at pick 12? I believe it is. You know what? I think there's good players through the first round and into the second round. I think that from what I've seen and what I've heard and and, uh, just being in discussion, I think it is a really good uh, uh, draft. I think that, you know, what you like and, uh, you know, are you willing to – to take a good chance in some guys. I mean, whether you want a goalie or maybe a smaller forward or, you know, a goal scorer or you need a specific position need, I, I think it's a good draft, and it's just a matter of uh, hitting on your pick, and hopefully in two to three years you can look back and say we made a really good selection in that draft. When you say goalie, are you a believer in taking a goalie in the first round? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of volatility to that position, and maybe it's just recency bias seeing the guy with the Blues, who was, what, the fourth-string goalie for the Blues at the start of the year. But just, I guess, what's your philosophy on the idea of, of taking a goalie in the first round? 
Well, listen, I, you know, for me being a coach for so many years, the one thing I can tell you is you can't win without one. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you get lucky, that's for sure. But I think if you feel con- uh, enough conviction that you believe a guy is the guy that's going to be your franchise goalie uh, for 10 to 15 years, then you have to step up and take them. I mean, uh, there's no doubt uh, you see some of the goalies in the NHL and there's different pedigrees and backgrounds. But I think if you believe in what your process is and what your uh, scouts tell you and you think this guy's got the high-end potential, then you go ahead and step up and take them. And, you know, I know there's teams that have good young goalies in the NHL and it does take a little longer. That's the big thing. People want an immediate... You got to wait a little bit for a goalie, but if they're good, they're going to get there at some point, and uh, certainly they're going to make a difference in your franchise for a lot of years. Do you know this kid that's the surefire first round pick that may be staring the wild in the face at pick 12? Is his name Spencer Knight? Yeah, I've seen him play. I think he's very, very good. Uh, you know, you watch him, and listen, I'm not a goalie expert by any means, but I know one thing from my years of being in hockey when I see a good goalie, I usually know he's a good and uh, that when I watched that guy, I said, this guy's good. I mean, you can see it. He's got confidence, and uh, there's a lot of good things about his game. He stands upright. He handles the puck well, which is good in the new era of NHL hockey. So uh, there was a lot to like there. I thought his size was good, and his athleticism looked very, very good to me. How about the top of the draft with New Jersey and New York? In some order, it'll be, what, Hughes and the Finnish kid. Is the pronunciation, is it Kako? Yeah. Yep, okay, so Hughes two. and Kako, Kako and Hughes, those will be the first two picks. How good are those two kids? Well, I definitely think they're a cut above the rest of the guys. I mean, everybody said from day one that there's, there's, it's those two and the draft will start at number three. And, you know, maybe uh, that one kid, uh, Kako, uh, did so well in the World Championships against men that, you know, it gives you some pause maybe to, to take a deep look and see if uh, you want to step back and select him. I mean, Hughes plays a premium position as a centerman, and that's always something that you look for when you're drafting is to be good down the middle. So I think both players are going to be really good. I think both players are going to play right away, and uh, there's a lot to like with both of those players. A big, strong guy and just a really good skating, skilled centerman that uh, makes a lot of players around him better and has some gifts to score, too. So uh, really high-end players there, Doogie. What is your role, Mike? I mean, as you're sitting there at the table with Arizona, I mean, what is that experience like? Do you have a feel for, for what that's like being there on the draft floor? Well, truth be told, this is my first time I've ever actually sat at the table. You know, I've always gone to the draft, and I've sat upstairs in the stands, and I've looked down at that floor and said, well, what's going on down there? What would it be like? And this will be a first time for me. You know, I did pro scouting most of the year, and then took over some amateur responsibility later in the year. So uh, I'll be in, involved in this process. And I know one thing, uh, I think when we, you know, basically the scouting director and the upper management, I think they are, you know, put their stamp on the draft in the first couple rounds. And, you know, that's to be expected, I think, from the rounds three through seven. I think some of the amateur guys that get out and, uh, you know, grind away a little bit will certainly have some say. And, uh, you know, if you have a passion for a guy in a certain spot in the draft and he's still on the board, then that's your opportunity to step up and, you know, take a swing there. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to seeing how that whole process evolves and works over the course of a couple of days. And I think it'll be good and it'll be a heck of a learning experience for sure. What is your scouting area? I mean, how far does it extend? And who are some of the draft prospects that fall within your area? Well, from when, when I 
this uh, was basically switched to do both at the end of the year after the trading deadline. I, I pretty much had the high school hockey in Minnesota and then the USHL and the U.S. national program go watch some of those kids. So, you know, it's mostly the Midwest guys. So, I mean, basically what you're seeing is anybody in the state of Minnesota or, or kids that, you know, went to the USHL, whether they're Minnesotans or not Minnesotans. So, you know, I don't think it's any secret. I mean, you have guys like Bobby Brink rated real high and, um, you know, there's some other good players like, like Bryce Dodzinski. I mean, there's there's a lot of kids. I Ryder Donovan, the Wolf is in that mix. I mean, a lot of kids that you know you have to get out and watch and, and uh, evaluate. And I think those guys all have characteristics and traits that you look for as a scout. And you know, some guys have one or two high end skills and need some development in some other areas. And that's probably why they'll go anywhere after the you know the first or second round on day two. So uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see where the guys are at. What I'm really excited about is that. When the draft is over Saturday night, to sit back now and say, okay, here's the comparison for me. is I've watched these guys this year, and now I see where other people view these guys and where they've selected them. And then it gives me a good basis going into the following years to say, when I use comparisons next year and the year after, you know, this guy looks like that player, and this is a comparable, and this kid was drafted in this round. So, like, you know, this is where I kind of see these kids sliding. And then you start to go to back for those guys once you dive into, you know, really what they're all about as a player and as a person. The NHL draft is beginning tonight. It's a two-day affair in Vancouver, British Columbia. Mike Gensel is on the podcast. He works for the Arizona Coyotes. He is joining us from Vancouver. Mike, on Bobby Brink, you brought up Bobby Brink, the former Minnetonka High School star. How good can he be? He made the transition. He helps lead Minnetonka to a state championship in 2018, decides not to go back to Minnetonka for his junior year, ends up going to Sioux City of the United States Hockey League. And he blew up in that league, right? I mean, him leaving Minnetonka seemingly has really helped his draft stock. Well, you know, like, uh, listen, I mean, kids can, he, he was going to be a good player no matter where he played. Bobby's got certainly high end abilities. He's a great thinker of the game. And, you know, he makes players around him better. I mean, he's just a good, good player. And the one thing I really like about him is he's won. I mean, when Minnetonka was crushing it in youth hockey, Bobby was always a central part of that team. And, um, you know, he's been good enough to be invited to play with the national program. He was able to make some city as a junior in high school. I mean, so he's done well wherever he's at, but a lot of it's just his gifts, his mental gifts, and understanding the game and processing the game really quickly. So he's got a lot of things that you like. I mean, I think the game is more suited nowadays, maybe to some guys like him because of lack of size or you know, some of his physical strength issues. Uh, he'll get stronger and things like that, but his brain is as big as anybody's in the draft. And I think that's why you'll see him have a good weekend and feel good about where he gets selected this weekend. Do you anticipate when it comes to, let's talk about non-draft prospects, just you know, legitimate NHL players right now, do you anticipate a good amount of movement? I mean, typically draft weekend, we see a good amount of guys being moved. Yeah, you know what I do see this year being uh, there are going to be some movement. You know, some NHL current players, I think you'll see some pick swapped uh, just because I think the draft is has got some depth in it and it's all what you like. But I do think, you know, through two or three rounds, you're going to see some good players on the board. And I think you'll see some movement. Uh, you know, I think you see some teams who have some cap issues and, you know, maybe they have to do some things there. And that might include having to attach draft picks to that. I think you'll see some teams that, uh, you know, want to maybe 
get immediate help, and when they do that, they trade a draft pick of significance to get that immediate help in their, on their NHL roster. So I just, you know, with the, what you see guys getting paid now and who's going to free agency in 10 days, I think it's going to be a fun week. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens between now and July 1st. And, you know, you see some of the, the contracts that blow you away with some of, the, some of the dollar values right now here the last couple of days and some of the big trades that have already happened. I mean, it's just, it's an interesting time and it's an exciting time. And, I, you know, it certainly is newsworthy right now across the, uh, the league as far as hockey goes. I mean, do you think we'll see some big names potentially being moved? I mean, obviously locally, you know this. You know, Jason Zucker's name. Heck, he's already been traded, right? I mean, he was supposed to be teammates with your son Jake in Pittsburgh, and then Phil Kessel says no, you know, decides he doesn't want to come here for, I was told actually he prefers if he's going to get traded, he actually wants to play somewhere warm. It wasn't necessarily that he was completely anti-Minnesota Wild, Minnesota Wild organization, and who knows, maybe those talks get renewed, but... You know, are you curious to see if there's some big names, whether it's Zucker or somebody else, that get moved? Yeah, I really am because I do think there's teams that have some real salary cap problems, and in order to to eliminate some of those problems, you have to move guys that have a high ticket price. I mean, so I, I think that's going to happen. Uh, I think you'll see some teams that uh, certainly are going to swap players. I mean, it's a competitive deal. When you see what happened this year, where teams had success in the first round that were wild cards. You know, advancing in the second round, the Blues, who were you know, are, you know, had the worst record in the NHL in January and won the Stanley Cup. I, I think people just want to get into that tournament, and then it gives yourself yourself a chance. So I think you'll see some movement, uh, which I think is fun. It's always interesting, and it piques your interest when you see guys that you know of, of significance that you've watched on TV that get moved. And you know, I've been around enough to, to, on the pro side this year to see you know all the time that people invest in trying to evaluate players. I think there's going to be some high-end guys moved, and uh, I think it's you know it's fun, it's exciting, and I can't wait to see how it evolves. I mean, it's just a, it's such a learning experience for me to to watch what's happened already in the trading front, and then to see what will happen this week. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of drama. Do you believe, Mike? And we're talking about Mike Ensel. Do you believe, Mike, that the dominance of the St. Louis Blues or their run? We can debate dominance, but all the wins on the road, heck, a better record on the road than at home, and just considering where you said they were in January, right? I mean, rock bottom. Are we not giving that story enough love? I mean, to me, I mean, I'm just trying to think, Mike, if that happened in the NFL, I don't know what the comp would be, maybe a team starting 0-6 and then winning out and winning the Super Bowl, or if it happened in Major League Baseball or the NBA. I'm just trying to imagine what sort of story that would be. I mean, I'm just I'm thinking, Mike, that the St. Louis Blues story, their run, Hoisting the Stanley Cup is as good a story as we'll see in your league in a long time. Am I wrong in suggesting that? No, I couldn't agree with you more. I think if it was any other sport and you think about it like you said, I mean it just it would be significant interest and it would give fan bases and everybody hope and reason to believe that it's never over and don't throw in the towel. I mean, I'm watching baseball last night and people are already talking about being sellers and you know, you still have over half a season left. I mean, the Twins have 90-some games left, and people are talking about selling already. So I think it's a good story. I mean, they were going to sell in St. Louis. They held on, and they made a good decision, and it worked out. And I think that will influence some people next year when they have decisions to make in January and February on the trading front, whether they want to go in or stay in or get out. Uh, you know, the Blues a couple of years ago got out and traded Stassi to Winnipeg, and, you know, this year they decided to stay with it and stick with their group and show some faith in them, and that group rewarded the ownership. So, you know, it's like last year, the Twins, I think, you know, all of a sudden this Dozier and some of these other guys wanted to be here, and people were like, hey, this is what 
we need to do. And, you know, you're going to make a decision what's best for your franchise, but it does give you some reason to believe, especially in that room, that, hey, we can get out of this, we can turn it around, and there's still a fighting chance. And as long as there is, we're going to keep going to war every night, and hopefully we, we win the battle. You brought up teams dealing with some salary cap issues, but then I see, and don't get me wrong, Eric Carlson is a phenomenal player, but, Mike, is he really worth $11.5 million a year? Kevin Hayes, did he just sign with Philadelphia seven years, $50 million? Not suggesting that Kevin Hayes is a bad player, but I'm looking at some of these contracts, and Jeff Skinner, really good player, but eight years, is it $72 million? I mean, don't teams maybe need to spend a bit wiser? Am I nuts in, in thinking some of these contracts are getting out of hand? Well, no, I don't think you're crazy. I just, I, I mean, uh, obviously right now the salary cap's gone up a little bit, and that's the cost of doing business, unfortunately. I mean, it's just, I went through it with Jake, and, you know, people, uh, he should have waited. He had 40 goals or some that, but I think there was a comfort level uh, when he agreed to his terms and just calmed him down, and he was able just to relax and play the game. But I think you're going to see some a lot of uh, – Big expenditures here coming up, and I think some of us going to be over expenditures and maybe some bad decisions down the road. But that's for each franchise to evaluate and make that decision what they have and how competitive they want to be. I mean, you see, like Philadelphia's made two trades and then signed that guy in the last week, and you know they've been out of it or they've been, you know, they changed with Chuck Fletcher there. I mean, it's one of those deals where you're like, hey, we got to get into the mix, and once we do, we have a chance because their window in our minds is somewhat open, and you know, let's push it further open. So. It's all a business decision and what you have and what your prospects are coming up. And, you know, that's what's going to be interesting just to see, you know, who wants to deal some prospects, who's going to stick with the, the, the consistency of developing and, and trying to draft and develop with that philosophy. But I don't know if the, you know, necessarily ch- uh, chasing championships by going through free agencies the work, the way to do it. I think you got to develop your own organization and develop your players once you make good selections. So I think this still goes back to that. And, um, it's going to be interesting because it's a lot of money and uh, there's a lot of comparables out there and you see some teams that now you saw a buyout today and there'll be some more buyouts coming up i mean just part of the deal but it's just it's a you know win now type of mentality and that sometimes influences your decisions i'll leave you with this i brought up phil kessel situation have you talked to your son have you talked to jake about phil kessel and what it's like playing with phil and phil's situation there with with Pittsburgh, who knows what ultimately happens. Maybe he ends up staying in Pittsburgh, but just how goofy maybe that situation is with Pittsburgh trying to move him. Well, what I know from Jake and talking to Jake is Phil is really, really liked and respected in that locker room. The guys like him. He will be missed if he's not there. I know my son will miss him dearly. Uh, he's a good guy, a good friend of Jake, and uh, you know that's been the way for you know a couple of years since he's been there. And um, you know that he could be misread in a lot of ways, but inside that room amongst the 20 guys that go to battle every night, they respect him and like him, and uh, they want him in that you know in that battle with them. And so if he's not there, I mean the reality is you're saying, hey, we're losing an 80 to 90 point scorer, and you know ultimately you sit back some days and say, are we better without him? And that's probably hard to you know for those guys to believe but i know jake would miss him if he was not there because he really likes him and respects him and uh just a good guy mike enjoy vancouver this weekend all right doogie all the best to you have a good week former gophers player former gophers longtime assistant coach now a scout with the arizona coyotes we greatly appreciate the time that Mike Gensel gave the Scoop podcast. He is on the draft room floor, sitting at the table for Arizona, ready to chime in with the general manager there with the Coyotes. If one of his players, he scouts the developmental team in Ann Arbor, scouts all of Minnesota, he's got the United States Hockey League, so he's seen a lot of these draft prospects. So it could be a very busy weekend for Mike 
helping out his employer, the Arizona Coyotes. We are done. That wraps it up. This edition of the Scoop Podcast is done. We join you each and every Friday night during the 6 o'clock hour right here on 1500 AM. Score North. Scorenorth.com.